0: This is Susanna McMonigal, and you're listening to season three of the five to eight shift podcast for parents. The five to eight shift podcast and community exists to educate, inspire and encourage parents throughout their parenthood adventure. Here we talk about all the things impacting parents today. Everything from mental health to technology to faith, teenagers, toddlers, self-care routines, and so much more. We know parenting is tough work, but family life is worth every ounce of effort. We hope you listen in, share with your favorites, and are reminded that you're not alone. We look forward to cheering you on in your own 5 to 8 shift. It's the most important shift of the day. Hey, y'all. It's your host, Susanna. Welcome to another episode of the 5 to 8 shift. I'm excited that you're here. We are kicking off a new series today. So if you've been around for a while, you know that we just finished up our Tech and Family series. We had some great episodes with some experts and some researchers and people helping us step away from social media and modeling great behaviors as parents. And so I just really love those episodes. If you haven't gotten a chance to check them out, they're all available wherever you're listening to podcasts. And today I'm kicking off a new series. Today I am kicking off The Adoptive and Foster Family series. And so, if you have been here a while, you know that two of our three children are adopted. Our son is four, and then our other son is two. And so, we have been a part of the adoptive community for a while now. And I just continue to um, be encouraged and be blown away and also challenged by many voices in the adoption community. And so, you know, I'll speak for myself, but when we adapted and really started digging in, uh, it, it changed our world. It changed everything, you know, the way we saw families, the way we understood the system, and just some of the opportunities and like, you know, it's it's such a gift to us and it has uh, been a remarkable part of our parenting journey. And so I like to encourage other parents who are uh, adopting or in the foster care um, community and really just encouraging you and hopefully challenging you in a good way. And if you are not an adoptive parent or a foster care um, caregiver, I really hope you'll stick around because at the end of this conversation today, we talk about how can I I support a friend who's going through this process? How can I be a better neighbor or coach or teacher to maybe a child who is uh, in a foster family or in an adoptive family? And so there is some great information for you guys here too. So obviously this is near and dear to my heart and I am so thrilled to be releasing this today. So today's episode is with Brittany Salmon and Brittany has just written a book that I love. I read the whole thing almost cover to cover when I was traveling. And so her book is called It Takes More Than Love, A Christian Guide to Navigating the Complexities of Cross-Cultural Adoption. And so her book is really, I just, I love the way You know, I love what she has to say. I love how she lays it out. I think sometimes as adoptive parents, there's so much overwhelming information about all the things that we're doing wrong and all the things we need to keep in mind and how we can do this better and we should do this and we should change this in our home and we should... And it can be really overwhelming. And so what I really pride myself on in this podcast is giving information without the overwhelm. And so Brittany, I really feel does that. And so one of the chapters in her book, she talks about um, how representation matters. So if you are bringing a child into your home from Korea or China or from Haiti, or if you have a child who's a different race from you, um, you know, my two sons are black. And so we um, want to develop a, a healthy racial identity, a healthy cultural identity. And so we talk a lot about representation matters in today's episode and how you as an adoptive parent or a friend can um, think about ways to make your home and your community and choices that you make really reflect the uh, multicultural life that you're after if you are adopting uh, some child from a different culture. And so Brittany is just a wealth of knowledge. She is Um, down to earth. She's got great examples and she presents it in a way that I think is not overwhelming. That really gives you tangible tips that you can get on the internet later today and be like, okay, I'm going to get this. I'm going to look up this. I'm going to learn about this and like, boom, you are on your way. And so it's a great episode to kick off. Um, If you want to connect with Brittany, she's on Instagram. She gives her info at the end, but her book called, called It Takes More Than Love just came out. I would highly recommend it. I actually said on Instagram, it should be required reading for anybody who is probably going to adopt somebody who is not the same race and culture as they are, which of course happens all the time. And it's just a fabulous resource. And so obviously I'm excited. I hope y'all are too. So I'm going to drop you into this conversation with Brittany Salmon. Thanks for being here. everybody. Welcome to another episode of the 5 to 8 Shift with Susanna. I am thrilled to have a great guest with you guys today. I have Brittany Salmon. Salmon? Yes, right? Brittany Salmon. Okay, thank you. Uh, Who has recently released a book called It Takes More Than Love. And I am just so thrilled to have her share some insight today. And so Brittany, I'm going to start. So I'm doing a rapid fire introduction to kick off. Okay. Three. okay. Number one, where did you grow up? I grew up in Western Kentucky. Okay. All right. Now, where do you live now?
1: I live in Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. And you, how long were you in Texas? Cause you were just in Texas for a bit. Yes. So I um, lived in Texas for six years, and we just moved to Wilmington like a a month and a half ago. Okay. So we're we're new. We're fresh. Okay. Were you in Wilmington previously? So my husband grew up about 30 minutes outside of Wilmington, um, but we actually lived in Raleigh, North Carolina for – I did for almost 10 years, and I think the first – seven years of our marriage
0: okay all right so you're bouncing around a little bit
1: yes
0: (laughs) okay uh number three what is one of
1: your favorite foods or restaurants okay my favorite food by far is tex-mex i mean just absolute tex-mex love fajitas love queso love the rice i mean I love Tex-Mex. Unfortunately, I'm now in North Carolina, so I'm not getting it as much as I was. I know. You're going to have to go on the hunt. You're going to have to go down some
0: back roads and find some good stuff. I am. Okay. All right. Yeah. I hardly ever meet a queso I don't like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Okay. If you could only have one for the next year, would it be movies or music? Music. Easy one for you? easy okay all right i like it and then the last question here to kick us off is you're speaking to us today about your book but also some advice for adoptive parents and um you know being an adoptive parent cross-culturally from a christian perspective when did this start to become something that you wanted to write about? Like, did you have like an aha moment or was this something that was kind of bubbling over time and you were like, I've got to explore this more?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's kind of complex because it's not, it's kind of both and. Okay. Um, I've been writing on faith and family and adoption um, for other sources, articles and things for probably, I don't know, a long time a very long time probably 10 years and um that's kind of what opened the door to write this book but i had a friend um well she was an acquaintance and i had worked with her on some articles for an organization and um she eventually moved to moody publishers as an acquisitions editor ah and when she moved there she said bernie i have this book idea i've watched you live this life i've i've read your work when you're talking about race as a white parent And, um, I think you should write this book on transracial adoption. And so, um, uh, she asked me that smack in the middle of 2020, um, right in the middle. Yeah, I know, right. It was actually late spring of 2020. So COVID, um, the pandemic had been around for a month or two. And I remember thinking, um, now it's not a great time. I've got all my my children home. This is actually Um, a horrible time. This is a horrible time um this topic is super complex and the way the world is right now um i didn't really want to stick my neck out and and do this yeah. and tackle this um and so initially i was like this is a great idea somebody should write this book i think your idea is phenomenal and i love to write um, but let me pray about it and really i only prayed about it for like a night or two oh, wow. and um i called one friend and um, he's an African-American. We went to college together. We went to seminary together. And um, it was it happened to be, I think, the week after George Floyd um, passed away. And I said, hey, I had this opportunity. And he said, Brittany, he said, I cannot tell you right now how my email inbox is full yeah. of white brothers and sisters in Christ saying, what can I do to help? What can I do to help? What can I do to help? And here you are emailing me um, with this opportunity saying, ah, oh, is this a good idea? Do you, do you think, I mean, really, am I going to get, am I going to get attacked for this? And he's like, honestly, I'm tired of white people caring whether or not they're going to attacked. The work just needs to be done. Mm. And I was like, ouch. Yeah. But, but valid, very valid. And so, um, husband and I prayed about it. We talked about it and I said, yes. And we just started nosediving into this topic and, um, researching, but a lot of it's stuff that we already, we've already lived out. It's, yeah, it's things that we've already studied. It's things that we've already talked about and wrestled with and worked. And so it, it was a natural, it was a natural process to write about it. Um, because it's a life that we've been living.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I can say so my my kids are um, black kids and George Floyd, the that situation changed my life, you know, and it changed a lot of people's life. But I had a horrifying gut check about where i exist on being part of the solution and doing better you know and you yeah. in your book you talk about maya Angelou's, of course famous quote and that i mean i i changed everything we we watched things we never would have watched i started following and listening to people like and i went out and found them very intentionally yeah and um just really a conviction a conviction yeah. that you know um I hope is better for my kids, you know, and a lot of the things that you've written about, um, I think are along those lines. And so one thing I want to say before we get started here, if somebody doesn't know what transracial adoption is, can you
1: define that for us? Sure. So my book, we call it cross-cultural adoption. And, um, but I use that that phrase because we want to really incorporate when we're talking about adoption, um, transracial adoption, which is when um, one ethnicity, for example, my husband and I are white, we have adopted, um, well, two of our kids are biological, so they're white, and then two of our kids, one is black and one is Puerto Rican and Native American. And so we've we've adopted children of different ethnicities than ours. Um, transcultural adoption, it can be, and often is a transracial adoption. Yeah. So um, if you adopt a, if I'm, again, I'm white, and if I adopt a child from, let's say Kenya, um, I'd be adopting a child who's black more most most likely black um but then also a transcultural adoption also could be I'm a white American adopting a white Romanian child yeah and so some of these topics on culture, yes, it deals with the color of our skin but also it deals with our adoptive families embracing culture yeah. so we use the term cross-cultural adoption to basically incorporate transracial when you adopt somebody with a different skin tone than yours but then also transcultural when you're adopting a child from a different culture yes. um, and you may or may not have the same skin tone you might have the same you might not so cross-cultural adoption um and is kind of what we're using I like for it. the sake of this conversation yeah okay
0: I like it so uh, I wanted to um I wanted to talk to you specifically chapter six you write Uh so and i have your book i love the book i was on a plane a couple weekends ago and pretty much read through the whole thing because it was a longer flight there and back and it really just so resonated with me Brittany. and so chapter six is around representation matters and one of the things i really love about this chapter is i feel like you've laid it out so so I want to say tangibly because, you know, you're interesting. You're, you're a writer and you've been doing this work and I know you're a researcher. And so you're like, I just dove right in. But I think this feels very overwhelming to a lot yeah. of people. Absolutely. And they're just like, where do I start? <clears throat> you know, like where do I possibly start? Cause you already feel like you're failing. Cause you don't know as much as you think you should know. And so um, talk to me a little bit about, you know, one of the quotes you have, it says, we cannot give our kids a cultural heritage that isn't our own.
1: Tell me about that. Well, I think uh, to to what you said right there, I want to say when we first started our adoption journey, we were in that same boat and we felt ill-equipped. Yep. Um, we felt ashamed of not yes. knowing what we didn't know. Yep. Um, we wanted to start, but we didn't know where to start. And I said I scoured. I mean, like I scoured the internet, our libraries for books and articles and things. And there were some, but there was nothing that was like, okay, you know, we're gonna lay this out for you in a tangible, accessible way, which is why this chapter, I was like, we, we just need to be broken down very simply because saying and shaming somebody saying, Hey, representation matters, you should be doing this. Yeah, is not really helpful it's unless not. you're gonna show show them how. And um, and so this, this chapter was born, what I, my hope and vision and goal was that somebody, a prospective adoptive parent, or maybe an adoptive parent who's already along their journey, but was like, we need to make some changes. They can read this and go, you know what? I'm going to start here. Yes. We're going to grow here. And then the goal is to end up here. And that is really why um, I kind of broke it down into um, the, the way that I did, but um it was this is this reality of it hit me one night. I was, I was rocking our first son and I was looking at his dark chocolate skin against my light white skin and thinking, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I doing? I cannot teach him how to be a black man in America. Mm. I just can't. There's, there's no way there's a, there's, there's this desire as moms. We want to be everything for our kids. Yes. And there's a truth in that. Um, even my bio- biological kids i can't do that no. i cannot be everything for my kids um that's that's just freeing to recognize as a mom to say i can't do it i can't do it all i can't be it all um i'm going to fail i'm not a perfect human um and so but specifically when it comes to race what, as a white parent i had to acknowledge i cannot teach my son how to be a black man in america now I can teach him how to love Jesus. Yeah, I can teach him how to be a kind friend. I can teach him a number of different things, but I'm not equipped um, to really gift him, um, to gift him with a racial identity or his cultural yeah. heritage. But what I can do is I can build a bridge for him. I can open a door and say, you know what? Our family's not gonna be. We're not gonna be a hindrance in you creating a healthy racial identity. We're not going to do that um we recognize that as it's a cross-cultural adoption that it is not going to be as natural as it would be if you were placed within the same cultural culture the same ethnic family right, right. um so we're, we're going to recognize that and what we're going to do is we're going to build bridges over intentionally with our family um, so that you can have access to people who look like you you can have access to people um who you can do life with? Who can yeah. be, whether it's coaches or teachers or pastors or friends, schools. Where we can be a bridge builder in this, um, but I can't. I can't do the work for our kid. Um, but I also can be committed to not being a hindrance to them doing the work.
0: Now, do um, you find that that's a big obstacle for for um, for adoptive parents? You know, like, you're like, okay, I'm not, it's freeing, but like, is that, is that an obstacle? Like, is that something like in
1: our heart that we have to be like, okay, I cannot do this. Yes and no. I, you know, I think it depends on the adoptive parent. Cause I sure. there are some adoptive parents who are coming to it going, I know I can't do this. And then yeah. there's some that that's really hard. Yeah. And I think you just have to evaluate and say, okay, what is it in my heart? Like, where, where mm-hmm. am I? Where am I on this journey? Um, am I open to acknowledging that I'm not going to be perfect and do this perfectly? Am I open to recognizing that I'm going to need community and assistance? Um, those are some questions that I think every adoptive parent has to ask, not just when it comes to race, but when it comes to a myriad of things, um, and and even in parenting in general, how often, um, is it like, wait, you know what, my friend over here she's really equipped to handle this. She does this so much better than me, but for some reason, this is hard for me. So I'm going to ask her for help or I'm going to ask assistance for this because I need help in this area. That's a great um, point. That's a great. Point. I just, I just think that there's, there has to be a level of self-awareness yeah, um, and maturity that says, you know what? I, I gotta get some help on this because um, I don't know what I'm doing here. And that's okay. Yeah. I, what I don't want is a book like this or an a, a training session to ever ever feel sh- like like shameful or yes. they don't care to feel shamed. What I want that feeling of like, oh I'm not doing this well to be is not to add another burden for you to carry, but for it to be a catalyst for change of saying, hey, that feeling of like, hey, I'm not doing this well. We're not going to let Satan turn that into shame. What we're going to do is we're going to say, you know what? We know we're not perfect people. That's Mm -hmm. okay. Um, So what we're going to do is to choose to let this feeling be a catalyst for change. Let it be a motivator for us to say, I didn't know, but now I do, and I can do better.
0: And now I know, and we're going to move forward in a different direction. So describe for my listeners this concept of windows and mirrors, which I've heard before in other contexts, and I really like
1: it. Can you like unpack that for us? Yeah, so um part of my research, uh, so I am I'm a d- doctoral student and I am currently trying. Lord, please help me. <laughs> you know, I've been trying for a very long time. I'm at the dissertation writing phase and uh, I just I God got, we gotta you. do it. God bless we, you. we gotta we've gotta do it. Um but um <laughs> part of it it was this this theory of, of um windows and mirrors, it's not my own. So I wanna claim that right now and I, yes. I wanna say that that is not my theory at all dr Rudine bishop yeah um it's something that they wrote about in this the education world in general and it's this concept that children need books um and it's it was specific, specifically about literature okay. um but children need books um because books can serve as a window into the culture of where they are like where they are in society and so children need a window to see other cultures out there, to see other people in order to build empathy, um, in order to just be a well-rounded human. Yeah. Um, but they also need mirrors. A book also needs to serve as a mirror so they can see themselves in the story. Because oftentimes um, in literature and in children's books, um, kids can look at these books and they can see, okay, I'm learning about this other culture, it's a window. Um, but they also need a mirror of, oh, this is, this is me in my culture. This is me in my society. Yeah. This is where I stand. And it was used to discuss um, minority children and their representation in Christian children, or not Christian children's literature. Sorry, my research on Christian that's your children's dissertation. Literature. Sorry, <laughs> but it's on it's on children's literature. Yeah, just in general, whether it's curriculum or kids books, and how there was such a shortage of representation for minorities, um, and that that causes a problem not just for minority children, but it actually really encourages. Um, um the majority, which is in this in our situation, white children, to become ethnocentric, which yep. means that they start to think that they're the they're the hero in the story. They're the main mm-hmm. character always. And the the brown people in the back, you know, they're just in the background. But people who look like me, we're the we're the doctors, the teachers, the leaders, yes. we're the main characters. And so it can cause it's harmful to everybody. And so when the idea of windows and mirrors is that children need, they need to um, have windows into other societies so to develop empathy, to develop a healthy understanding yeah. of where where they are in the world. But they also need a mirror. They need to see themselves in the story too, um, in order to know, like, to see themselves, like, who who am I in the story? Yeah. They need to be the leader. They need to be the teacher, the doctor, the main character. Um, and it, everyone kind of needs to take turns in that area. And so that's the whole concept of representation, yes. and that it matters is, is was kind of based on that educational theory.
0: Yeah, and I don't know if you were writing about it in this chapter or somebody else or somewhere else in your book, but you were talking about like, having <laughs> your adoptive kids no other adoptive kids like beyond, yes. you know, beyond yes. the culture piece, but like, hey, I'm not the only person adopted in my community, like there are other and and I really like that that resonated with me too.
1: I think that's really important for adoptive families. And it was something, honestly, that I didn't think of. That was one of the things I didn't think about beforehand. Yeah. Um, but as are, we've had friends who've adopted and different things, it's been so neat. I mean, it's just been such a gift to yeah. our kids to be like, oh yeah, and so and is adopted. And yeah, and this person over here is adopted. And to be able to just normalize it to where it's like, I am not the only one this way. Yes. This is, I'm not the only one who has a story like this. And although our stories might be vastly different, um, look, there's another cross-cultural adoptive family like mine. Um, and and I think that's been really healthy for our kids to kind of wrestle with um, just adoption in general.
0: And it's that shared experience, right? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of people who are not going to know really what that's like. And that shared yeah. experience, I think, is a confidence builder and community builder and all of these really important things
1: absolutely absolutely
0: so in your in your piece here about represent- representation matters you have tears which I love because I'm always like you know like um if, if you're birthing a child right there's like this is how you get the baby to sleep and this is how they eat and I'm like I think this is like just like such low-hanging fruit things or at least tier one anyway like just a great place For families to start so if you don't if you're cool with it i would love to just kind of unpack these three if there's a potential or prospective adoptive family listening and i know there's actually lots because they reach out to me and i i love hearing from them but like tell me about tier one what is like our first spot we can start if you're like okay i
1: can do better and here's where i'm going to start absolutely so the first tier um the first tier is called it's representation, in your artifacts. Yes. And the culture inside your home, which artifacts is just your stuff, your things inside your home. Um, So I tell the story about uh, um often when I talk about this, our first Christmas, our first Christmas after we adopted, um, I'm putting up my Christmas decorations and I'm looking around and I'm like, all right, there's a white nativity set. There's like, all, all I see is like white angels on our Christmas tree. Yeah. Like I see a bunch of white people and that and that's fine you know why because i'm a white person yeah. um, like that's you know what that's okay like yes. again we're gonna shed the shame we're not gonna allow that narrative to be like ah shame on me but i looked around at our holiday decor and was like oof, we gotta we 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 got some work to do yeah and so quick so i quickly just even started on our the ornaments on our christmas tree god bless target and their and their amazing multicultural yeah, ornament real. section that they've had the last few years, I'm like, yes. Um, and But it, it, it's more than just that. Yeah. But it, that was kind of the start where you look around, you're like, what are the books that we have in our house? What are the the, the paintings on our wall? Who are they about? Who are the quotes by? Yeah. Um, in our dining room, we have two quotes hanging and one's by Maya Angelou and one's by Dr. Martin Luther King. And so it's Love one it. of those things of making sure That the the things in our home um, show that we're a multicultural family, because you cannot be you cannot choose to be a cross cultural adoptive family and live a monocultural life. We try to, but we we have to start making those changes. And so do the things in our home reflect that? Do the do the cookbooks that we're cooking from Mm -hmm. the the things does that reflect everybody in our family? And so when we think about representation, it's the toys, the baby dolls, the you know, it, the posters we hang up. Yeah. It's a little bit of everything, but it's just the stuff. And that is the easiest thing you can do. It really is. Even if you don't live near a target, you can get online and, and you can have it shipped and, um, (laughs) or whether it's another, you can Google is an amazing resource, um, for nativities. I love I love, love, love um, just having a bunch of different nativities from different cultures. Yeah. Um, and so making sure that over the years I've collected some and they're not all, they're not all um, African-American. Some of right. them are, you know, from Mexico. Some of them are from, I have one from Hungary. You know, hmm. I'm, I'm a quarter Hungarian. Okay. And so it's part of it's been learning also to celebrate my cultural heritage. Yes. I'm like, hey. And so just kind of learning some of those things and saying, I'm going to have some things in our home. Where our kids yeah. and Lord Willing, the friends that adversity in our community, when they come into our home, they say, "Hey, I feel seen." Yeah. I feel seen, and I feel at home here."
0: Yeah. You know, I listened to an adoptee um, tell her story on a podcast. Gosh, I don't even know who it was. But she talked about one of the things that was so valuable to her, especially when she got a little bit older, is her mom was reading books by black authors, like intentionally. And she saw it and she noticed it and she knew who they were. And that was like so important to her seeing her mom take part in, you know, just not even like about race. They could be nonfiction, yeah. you know, but yes. just, yeah, being intentional there. And I Absolutely. also, you might have written about this somewhere else, but I also think about music, right? Like we oh. have, I have like a lot of, um, I have like a Motown playlist really is like yes. my favorite. And we do like them temptations and some old school Michael Jackson and all this stuff. And we listen with the kids and I'm like, yes, yes. Like, yeah. hello, Spotify. You can find whatever you, you know. Liam Bridges, he's my new jam, you know, it's like
1: good stuff. And it's, it's very available. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, we have a lot of complaints probably about the internet these days, Sure, but for, for adoptive parents, what a gift. Yes. What a gift because the art that we have, the music, the books that we read, like the things in our home, the internet is such a gift. Um, the, The people we follow on social media. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of different resources out there um, that could help us with this, This, like you said, this low-hanging fruit, tier yeah. one. Yeah.
0: Okay. So then let's move to tier two. Where are we, what are we looking for in tier two?
1: So uh, this is kind of honestly just what like I found in our life. It was a, like a natural kind of progression of, all right, so the things that we got in our home, we started doing this Um, But then the second tier is the representation of voices. And that's kind of like a a more abstract concept where you're like, voices, like what, what are voices, but who are the pastors who you're listening to? Who are the podcasters that you're listening to? Yep. Who are the doctors and the lawyers and the insurance um, folks who you're giving your business to? But they are in leadership over you in a form of fashion over that they are yeah. providing a service for you, but they're helping your family. Who are those voices who are speaking into your life? Who are the coaches um, that you're choosing to put in your kids life? Heck yeah. Who are the voices in your family um, and are they all predominantly your ethnicity, or do they represent um, your children as well? And so, um, and some again, some of that can be hard. I, I will admit, like some of it can be incredibly difficult. We just moved. We just moved, and we had just kind of, I feel like, got our lives set up. You know, after six years of living somewhere and knowing, okay, so we're going to use these sports leagues over here because we know they have more diverse coaches and yeah. there's a little bit more diversity over here, and we know. Um, Okay, so there is not a black pediatrician in our town, but we do know that there is a female Indian pediatrician that we're going to intentionally go to, and so that takes some time. It does to figure out and to ask, and it really does to be intentional. It it really does. Um, but we're as we're starting this all over again, I've been reminded of the importance, and, and if I'm going to be really honest with you, so much so that we joined a um, we joined a little league team for our son um we showed up to the first like little like jubilee and we looked around and we said no this mm-hmm. is not for us this is not for us we are it is all an entirely white league um and the only person of color is our son so we're not gonna go there yeah. and it had been it had been recommended to us by multiple people sure and um but we I reached out and I asked some other a couple of people said okay no no listen I, I Yes, this is a city league, but is there another league? Is there another something else? And we found another league that is I've never heard of it before, but we went in that and and it's it's much more diverse. Um and so I, I think that we we live this out and it is not always easy. We lost our sign up fee. It, it's costly yeah, sometimes. It can we, be. It it can be costly sometimes, and that and sometimes you you might be in a position where okay, I can't do that this time, but you make note and you finish the season, and next time you go somewhere else. Yes. And so, um, I do think that that being intentional with the voices that we're listening to, um, not just our kids, yeah, being being intentional with our kids especially, but also ourselves is such an important thing. But it also, is. it's it can, we talk about how hard it can be. It's also a gift. It is It is such a gift. I mean, um, I, I, I can tell you that my husband and I are better people because we've chosen to be a live a multicultural life, not because we're awesome people or because of just that, but like we have, we, we have different perspectives, more empathy, yeah. um, we're we're learning oh you do this differently and it's not it, it doesn't mean that they're right or wrong or that we're right or wrong I'm yeah. just having a, a better greater respect for other cultures is such a gift it's and- such a It really is. And if
0: I could just like share a quick, cool story with you. So my university, 54, 54% of our student body are students of color. So Mm -hmm. it is super diverse. It's really awesome. And I had a student give a public speech about the history of uh, African hair care and like the braids and they would hide things Mm -hmm. in their hair and they would transport things. And it was so interesting. Her name is Charlize. And then she did something else about hair. And I was like, Charlize, can we have a zoom? And can you please give me all your best hair tips? And she was like, absolutely, you know, and she just, and I was like, this is a voice that Uh I am, you know, and hello, she's 19 years old, right? Yeah, like half my age. And I'm like, I am so grateful that you are willing to spend time with me to teach me, you know, these tricks of the trade and some cool, you know, cause she was like, she's like, it's my specialty. It's my mom's specialty, you know, it's a family thing. And, but like, she could have been like, no, why don't you know this? Like you are, you know, and she wasn't, she was so gracious, but it is, I am better for that. No
1: question. Absolutely. And I I do think on some level um, there is this, Pride again. Uh-huh. There's this level of pride as a parent where, like, you want to be able to do it all. I know. You want to be able to, to know it all. Like, you want to be able to, like, no, I just naturally know how to take care of my kids' hair. Yeah. <laughs> no, we we all have to learn. We all have to learn. Okay. Um, and and of course, those sort of things are so important and valuable. Um, whether it's hair care or spiritual health,
0: yeah. Whether it's
1: being, you know, coaching t-ball or um, just having a mentor but making sure that, that we are preferably, you know, especially as a pandemic thing is it in person having relationships and listening to voices. But even if you're in a season where you can't, or you're in maybe an area of the country where like I live in a predominantly white <laughs> rural yes. area where this is just not an option for me. Um, Hey, maybe travel to your closest city for specialists Absolutely. and to make those trips, to make them important, Great but idea. also the internet. Um, <laughs> But also the internet, uh, which, like you said, ask somebody for a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Um, listen to the podcast. Listen, say you know we go to an all-white church, but um, our one of our our things as a family on Wednesday night we watch this this church service from this other church. Yeah, you know, in a city nearby where you can still maybe go visit. Yeah. Um, on special occasions, but um, that like you you're intentionally listening and learning and, yes. and and going all right I, we have this 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 other voice in our head that we're the spiritual voice that we're submitting to
0: yeah oh my gosh yes and so tier three you know one step up maybe a little more uh intention a little bit a little bit more tell
1: me about the third one the community piece of it tier three is community it's your people it's you your know people. um I think once you do tier one, you've got this your stuff, you're kind of like, all right, we're tiptoeing into this and you're mm-hmm. all in and then you kind of graduate to tier two or you're listening. Um, maybe you're you're kind of seeking out the beginnings of community. Yeah. Um, tier three is actual relationships. Yeah. It's the people who you're you're eating with, going out to eat with. Um, it's the it's it's the again, the coaches and things like that, but it's the relationships. Yeah. Um it's the when you have a birthday party for your kids and you, you look around, who's there? Mm. Who are those people? What do they look like? Yep. Um, and I, I think that that, that um, community can be a hard piece just in general right now. I think yeah, there's definitely. a lot of people struggling, just struggling for um, community. But again, you cannot be a cross-cultural adoptive family and live a monocultural life. And you so can't. is your community monocultural or is it multicultural? And what changes do you need to make? in order to make that happen. Is it schools? Is it neighborhoods? Is I it not, not every, and, and not everyone can move and I completely understand that. Yeah. And so that might be something like, actually, we can't do that now. But I know a lot of adoptive families who have said, actually, we're gonna be intentional about this. We're gonna move. Wow. Um, and and that's a big, again, that is a huge. big, huge thing. And I think you have to know your neighborhood and know where you're at and that, I'm not, it's a personal decision. But for us, we moved, we moved to um, Wilmington, North Carolina and we said, Specifically, I went online and I looked at all the elementary schools. I looked at all of their demographics. Love it. Um, and I and I was like, okay, so these are the schools where all of our kids would be represented fairly. Um and so we want to live in these pockets and these certain areas. And just like you choose, a lot of people choose based on like best school for adoptive family. I think you choose the best school for your family, yeah. which is one where they're represented. And um, and so you we have a lot more choice than we like to acknowledge. And even if you forget moving, um, you choose where you spend your time. You choose where, what businesses we support. We Absolutely. choose what, church, what churches we attend. What extracurriculars we're involved in. Yeah. Um. You get to choose what dance studio your your kids are you know going to. It, you get to choose all of that. Who's teaching your kids music lessons? Um. These are all choices that we make, and um. A lot of times, I found in our lives. The people who we're, you know, being soccer moms with or um, doing this event with, those people become friends. And it, all yeah. it takes is a, hey, you want to come over for dinner? Hey, after this next, our next game, do y'all want to go out for dinner or for lunch? Um, or hey, would you like to go get coffee sometime? Yeah. It just takes an, an ask and, and sometimes we'll be told no. Sometimes it's a, a, sometimes you're like, actually, that's a dud. We didn't really click. But yeah. you start you start clicking with people and you're just slowly making friends. And I just think it's so important that the yeah. people in our community who we're doing life with, um, that our kids have access to people mm-hmm. who look like them. Um, because when one of our kids experiences racism at school and I give them an answer, it, it's going to be the best answer I can do based on how much I've learned and listened, but how much greater of a gift is it to say, Hey, you I want you to go talk to Pastor Chris. Um, and Pastor Chris sits him down and says, Man, that happened to me too. Yeah. Guys, that's a gift to our that kids. That is a gift. Um, it's a gift to and to have those relationships already established. And and it's not in a tokenizing way. We're not using these people just so they'll minister to our kids. No. No, it's just it's just living life in a way acknowledging the fact that you're a multicultural family and you need to be in a multicultural community um and building true genuine relationships where we show up for them they show up for us that's right it's it's a mutual a mutual friendship going on
0: yeah and you've made some you've you've connected some really important dots there i think for my listeners because if your kid's on a travel soccer team and you spend every weekend with these people and all these people are, you know, all white families that, you know, that's just who you're going to click with, who your friends are going to be. And there's nothing wrong with having lots of different friends. But if we're more intentional about saying, hey, this league makes more sense, (laughs) then I feel like then, like you said, let's have lunch. What you would say after any soccer game, right? But you're putting yourself in position to make choices that are, I like what you said, best for your family.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing where it's not – I think when we talk about some of these things, a lot of times in our current um, society, the temperature is what's best for my family has to be best for everyone else. Yeah. So if you're not doing life the same way I am, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And I think it's really important to recognize, even from an adoptive family level, um, we all have different contexts, different cities that we're living in, yeah. different locations. Um, but the point is, Are you living a multicultural life? Let's say you don't have diverse sports teams. Okay. What church are you attending? Yeah. Okay. Like what, what if if you're in a place where you actually can't do all of those things? What are a few things that you can do um, Mm -hmm. right, right now today that could say, I'm going to make a change here. I'm going to look up some, you know, Different, different sporting events. Or I'm going to look up the the actual demographic demographics of the that's schools the in our schools. area. I'm gonna I'm gonna look up these things. I'm gonna ask these questions, and it is so uncomfortable um, when you're having those conversations with people who are not ready to have them. I oh, I, yeah. I, I, call, I called multiple schools saying, "Hey, what's your demographic? Hey, what's what is your demographics here? We're a cross cultural not the family. We want to do that." And I, sometimes you're gonna be met with, "Well, it shouldn't matter," mm-hmm. and and that and that's okay. Um, we have to be prepared for not everybody to understand where we're coming from as adoptive families, whether we're talking about trauma, whether we're talking about race, whether Mm -hmm. we're talking about open adoption or closed adoption, we have to be okay with some discomfort. Um, but we all can take steps in really developing a community. And my prayer is not that this is a, you have to do X, Y, Z, that this conversation is a catalyst for your listeners to go, what can I do? Yeah. Okay, I can't move. I'm not moving. I love my house. Maybe you live on a farm. Maybe like I've been working moving. on this house for two yeah. years. I'm never leaving. Yeah, that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to. Um, but what can you do today? And yeah. I want there to be some freedom and some some creativity. And what can I do? What yeah. what? How can I do this? Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a little
0: bit about pushback on some of these ideas. So I was talking to my husband. I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm talking to Brittany Salman tomorrow. I'm so excited, blah, blah. And I said, if somebody brought this book to us a year before we brought, uh, you know, a child into our home, would we get it? like we get it now and we we both humbly you know try to shed the shame but humbly agreed we probably would not have the same response um are you hearing those stories like what do you get a lot of pushback from this message you know i know you have said on other podcasts like you just weren't sure how it would be received so so tell me about that like yeah tell
1: me about that you know um i think 99% 99% of people have been so gracious, mm-hmm. even with pushback. Um, 99% of people have been super gracious with it. And um, and and even some of the ones who had pushback who maybe weren't as gracious, um, I feel like the Lord <laughs> has spared me from a lot of the things that I was expecting I would get. Mm-hmm. It's gotten a it's gotten a lot of positive feedback overall, which has been so encouraging to me. Um because i really do actually i think the adoptive community is ready. Um, yeah. I think they're ready. I think uh, not everyone is and not everyone is going to be, but i think there's a lot of adoptive i think there's a lot more adoptive families out there who are ready for this message than even i suspected I think that's when i was true. writing it. I think um, that's true. And, and I, because the amount of the feedback i've gotten has been predominantly i wouldn't have been ready for this 5 years ago. Um but I'm so grateful for it now. And I think when people get into the adoption season, um, most people are and, and the people who have been um most have pushed against this the most aren't people who are in the beginnings of their journey, but they're people who um maybe mm. have adopted children and they're out of the nest now. Oh, okay. And um maybe they have some serious regret. And mm. I, I think and and it's more like, nope, you don't have to you don't have to do it this way. Um and so I, I, there's been a lot of grace for that. Cause I'm thinking, you know what, if I was, if I got a book.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 10 years too ten,
1: late. <laughs> 10 years too late. I'd be pretty angry too. Yeah. Um, and, and the anger has to go somewhere and I, you know, that's fine. Um, but most of the feedback, most of it has been great. Um, and most of it, I really do think it shocked me because I was prepared to get kind of shot at from both sides. Yeah. Um, from. Yeah, just we'll just leave it at that yeah. I was afraid we were going to shout out from both sides, but um, it's it's actually been really refreshing. Where I think most of the adoption community have said thank thank you for this. Yeah, um, adoption agencies have been using it, and I'm like, y'all use it, go, yes, like, go with it, and and using it for training, and um, it's been a real gift, a real gift.
0: You know, and the last thing I want to ask you here, because I see we're getting tight on time and I feel like I could talk to you for like another three hours just with our shared experience, but you have incorporated some adoptee voices in your book, which I really like. And I I just, I really, you know, I'm just really value what they say. Um, What have you, what have you learned talking to
1: adoptees? I know you've learned a lot, but like what's a tidbit you could share I think the thing that I've learned most in my journey and probably through the beginning is my mistakes yeah. is um, adoptees and I'm never going to speak on their behalf, but what I've been told and what I learned um, is they don't want, they want to be able to share their stories freely mm. um, without me poking holes in it or going, yeah. well, what about this? Or yeah. well, what about, well, well my kid's adoptive story is different, uh, but just to, the thing I've learned is if, if an adoptee, who does, they do not have to share their story with you, takes the time to share pieces of their story. Um, instead of going, well, I'm not that way. I, my, I'm not that out to parent. Instead of kind of putting ourselves on their narrative, yeah, just receiving their story with grateful hearts and going, huh, wow. Like seeing them as an individual, not just a resource. Does yes, that make sense? Because it, it, it is a gift and it is a resource when they do share their stories with us. We all, all adoptive triads, you know, whether whether it's the first family, adoptive family, um, and then the adoptee, we are all unique and we all have our different stories and things that we bring to the table. And so instead of expecting an adoptee to be able to speak into my story and figure out this for me, just receiving their stories with grateful hearts and seeing them as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ and loving them where they are on their journey and, and just being... A safe space for that. Um, that was something I learned, unfortunately, by mistake in my mm. first first little bit. I was defensive. I was, yeah. I was prideful. I was a number of different things that I am so saddened by. Yeah. Um, but it's been something I've learned along the way, which, which um, praise God for growth. You know.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, Brittany. This has just been. I just feel like I had coffee with a friend. Like I just, I'm so, you know, just personally, my own adoptive experience. But, you know, having this podcast, I mean, I have complete strangers reach out to me on Instagram, as I know you do too. And just are like, what's a resource? Where can I start? What, you know, and I'm just so happy to share your book with them. And um, I think it's such a, a great place to start. And I feel like you really approach this with humility and with, um, patience maybe you know maybe we're we should be all done with patience but I just think it's it's just such a um you know a Christ-centered approach and I just so appreciate that so if I have somebody listening who wants to connect with you wants to grab the book
1: what is the best way to do that you can get the book on Amazon or wherever books are sold Target Barnes and Noble um and you can connect with me on Instagram I'm at Brittany in Salmon um that's that's the social media where I'm most active. Okay. Although I do, I do take breaks. <laughs> but, wise, um, wise. that's, that's where I, I hang out the most.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for being with me today. Thank you for sharing your Thanks insight and in doing this work. So very much appreciated. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You got it. Have a great afternoon. thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Be sure to share with us on Instagram what you liked most about the episode by tagging me at Susanna.McMonigle. And lastly, if you want more information about the 5-8 to eight shift, you can check out our website, the5to8shift.com. We'll see you guys next time.